0: Welcome to our Systematic Theology class through Immersion Discipleship School. This is session five called The Doctrine of the Scriptures. You'll remember for the last several weeks we've talked about many different doctrines. We started with the Doctrine of God, and then the Doctrine of Salvation, the Doctrine of Sanctification, and last week we talked about the Doctrine of the Church and this week as we talk about the doctrine of scripture we want to remember that everything that we talk about in immersion discipleship school including the doctrines and all the other classes comes from this one perspective and that is that the bible is our truth that as christians we believe god has given us his word so that we would know who he is know what he's like and how it is that we're called to live He gave us his word very specifically very strategically and he wants us to understand the power that it has the authority that it has in our life and so when we talk about it today we're coming from that perspective i'm not going to show you a lot about you know outside sources as to uh, validate the bible and why it is true from like a scientific perspective but really from an internal perspective that those who are christians can appreciate that we believe the bible is god's word because it says that it's god's word it's trustworthy and reliable and it's it's actually gone through the test of time that we know that orthodox christianity has held the view that i'm going to share with you today for years and years and years and so we step into this conversation on that foundation and i want to share with you something that aw tozer wrote many years ago and i think it's very important and very helpful as well. A.W. Tozer stated that what we think about God is the very most important thing about us. For in what we think about God, we think about everything else. That is to say, our thoughts on God either become central to our lives and therefore impact everything in and around us, or our thoughts about God are nice and pleasant but have little to no impact on our lives and therefore what goes on around us. And really what he's getting at is he's talking about having a biblical worldview that what we think about god is so vital it's it causes us to see the world a specific way those that have a biblical worldview are people who believe that the bible is god's word and therefore see the way that God has called us to see the world, and then obviously act accordingly. But there are a lot of places that we can derive our theology from and our understanding from. We've talked about this, that there are different kinds of theology. Obviously, we're looking at systematic theology. There's natural theology. There is also biblical theology. There's covenant theology. But just by way of example, the the places that we get our knowledge about God Uh, generally speaking, are first from the natural world. Romans actually chapter 1, verse 19 through 20 states this very clearly in talking about unbelievers or people that that don't know God. Uh, Paul writes this to the Roman church and says, what can be known about God is plain to them. This is all people that don't know him because God has shown it to them for His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. And so obviously in the natural world, Paul says that we can derive a basic or general understanding that there is a God, that God is working in the world and has obviously done many things up until this point. But also we want to honor the sense of personal encounter. Some things, it's not just about explanation, but it's about experience. I came to Christ this way. When I came to Christ, I was 19 years old. I encountered the Lord. I had heard a lot of things about God explained to me, a lot of sermons at that point. I'd been in and out of church, but I had grown, you know, dim to the whole, to all of the things of God, and I didn't believe in Him, didn't know Him, didn't want to know Him. I had a personal encounter when I was 19 years old that opened my eyes to see that Jesus was real, that God was alive, and He was working on my behalf therefore i gave my life to him so personal encounter is something that god wants us to have and it is a place by which that we derive our understanding and knowledge it's not obviously the only place as we're talking about the doctrine of scripture but it's something that we want uh, to honor and we look at this in hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 the writer says without faith it is impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek Him. So, we're talking about people that have had a personal encounter. They're not just academically inclined, and they have a mental assent that there is a being called God. Jesus was real. His death, burial, resurrection really happened. But they're also people that have personally encountered the love of God, given themselves to the Lord, and they have faith in Him. They've chosen to take a stand and put their faith in this truth, and it's caused them to be the kind of people that Christians ought to be. And so we derive our knowledge, our understanding about God from the natural world, from personal encounter, and obviously from history, that God reveals Himself in time and history, but through the Scriptures. And this is the primary means by which we should derive all of our understanding about God. And I'm talking, of course, about the God of the Bible. Many religions espouse that there is a God, but the Bible says very clearly that there is one God. And this is what we're talking about, but just to give some basic details about what the Bible is. I've already covered some of this in our class called How to Study the Bible, but we're going to take another step by talking about it from this angle. But here's some facts that you want to know, that the Bible is a library of books, and it's organized... And meticulously preserved through the ages and there's no other book in human history that can claim the same level of veracity and accuracy as the bible does and this is such an important point that when you research what the bible is where it comes from how it came into being you'll realize very quickly that nothing in all of history comes close to this library of books the bible is not just a book it's actually a library of books and this is so so important there are more manuscripts that exist of biblical text than any other book in all of history. In fact, it's not even close, which we'll look at in just a moment. I've personally come to love the scriptures. Ever since I met Jesus, I've come to love the word. I've seen the word active in my life. I've seen it work in my life, so to speak. I know that the Bible is true when I see its truths actually coming to life in me and around me. And so I've come to love the Bible very, very clearly. But I want to talk just briefly as we go down this road about the inspiration of Scripture. We accept that the Bible is the inspired word of God. If you're a Christian, this is what we call Christian orthodoxy. They have always believed this from Old Testament to New Testament as the Bible uh, was put together and canonized, it was put together, formed, and this took a series of years, but it's always been accepted in Christendom that the Bible is the inspired word of God. And what we mean by that is that the writers were inspired of God, or they were moved by the Holy Spirit And the result was that these writings that came out of their time of of being inspired by God are actually the Word of God. It's as if He breathed them through these writers. It's as if God spoke through these writers in time, in history, in different genres, different types of writings, in different ways and time periods. The Bible is therefore useful as a guide to salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, leading us to a deep and deepening relationship with God and sufficient for doctrine, correction, and moral and ethical instruction. Let me just read you a scripture that sort of says this, uh, this very thing, actually two scriptures that say this very thing that I'm trying to say. And the first is 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. And this is what Peter says. He says, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Greek word here is carried uh, for carried along. It means to be moved by bearing it. It means that that God breathed into the sails, so to speak, that they were moved upon. That that they had to sail, and God breathed the wind into that sail. They were moved by the Holy Spirit as they wrote, which is a very good word picture, and it goes on to say, like a person uh, carried across by an ocean ship. This is what the word picture uh, is, is saying is what I meant. Second Timothy chapter three, verse 15 through 17 says something very similar. Paul's writing to Timothy and he says, from childhood you have been acquainted with the, with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture, he's talking about Old Testament here, is uh, breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is God's breath in creation. This is God's ongoing work through His Holy Spirit today. All Scripture is God-breathed. This is what we're talking about, inspiration of the Bible. The Bible makes this claim, and you have a choice. I have a choice to make. I either believe it's true or I believe it's not true. I, of course, believe that it's true, that the Bible claims from Genesis to Revelation that it is in fact god's word almost every single book of 66 books in the bible claim that god spoke somehow and in some way in that book and so these claims are very serious right the people that wrote them and the bible here says that they were moved upon by the holy spirit are claiming that very fact that god moved upon them as they wrote so make no mistake the bible itself says these things. It's sort of like C.S. Lewis talked about when Jesus made the claim of who he was. We have a choice to make about who Jesus is. He either is the Son of God, or so he's, he's true, he's telling the truth, Or he's a liar and he's not the son of god or he's a lunatic he's crazy he thinks he is but he's not so liar lunatic or lord this is what c.s lewis said and we actually can take that kind of logic and apply it to scripture if the scriptures say that it's from god we can say that that's true or it's not true or whoever wrote it was crazy or delusional at best but we of course christian orthodoxy says that the Bible is inspired of God and therefore useful for everything that we could possibly need in the Christian life. And this, of course, Paul was talking about the Old Testament, but we wanna look at the New Testament to affirm the inspiration of the Old Testament and to affirm the inspiration of the New Testament as well, just looking at internal evidence at this point. Luke 24, 27 says this, "'And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, He interpreted to them, Jesus did, to these people on on the road that he was walking with, he interpreted to them in all of the scriptures the things concerning himself. So here you have this picture of Jesus talking to a couple guys as they're walking on the road, and he uses the Old Testament to show the truth about what would happen in his death, burial, resurrection really ultimately to reveal that what had happened in him was actually supposed to happen and it was predicted in the Scriptures. So he says this, but in so doing, he's validating the Old Testament. Sometimes people will invalidate the Old Testament and they'll say, all you have to focus on is the words in red or all you have to focus on are the teachings of Jesus. But when you focus on the teachings of Jesus and you see that Jesus over 80 times validates the Old Testament, that if you're really going to take that perspective of reading the words of Jesus, believing the words of Jesus, you simply have to come to the place where you respect the Old Testament as Jesus did. And this is exactly what we read about in Luke chapter 24. Well, let me share with you Acts chapter 10, verse 43 says this, to him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And so here you have Peter who's talking. This is the story story. In the house of Cornelius, he's talking about how all the prophets bear witness to the many, not just Jew, but also Gentiles, will come to faith in Jesus Christ. And he sort of has this revelation that's very progressive himself. Matthew chapter 5, verse 18, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one iota, not a dot will pass from the law until it is accomplished. Here we have Jesus Again, validating the inspiration of the Old Testament. Matthew 24, 35, Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And he's talking, of course, about the Old Testament. Now, what about the inspiration of the New Testament? Here we read in the New Testament, mostly from the words of Jesus, that the Old Testament was inspired. So we can agree with that and say, okay, we believe that the Old Testament was inspired. Jesus says it, I believe it, that settles it. But what about the New Testament? What about the 13 letters of Paul? And what about the other epistles that were written by some of the apostles? What about the book of Revelation? Um, What about these? Are these also, are we to believe that these are also from the Holy Spirit? And the answer, the short answer is yes, but there's a way in which we can see through internal evidence in the Bible that this is actually True, and there's a couple places. The first place is in First Thessalonians chapter 4, where Paul's talking to the church at Thessalonica, and he tells them that the things that I am saying to you are not just from me, but from the Holy Spirit, and those who do not obey what I am saying or listen to what I'm saying is not rejecting me, but rejecting God. He says that right there, so he's making a claim that the words that I'm saying to you are from God and not just from me. That's a serious claim. That's a claim of inspiration. He does the same thing to the corinthian church he says not i but the lord he does it two times this is not paul speaking this is the lord speaking that's a serious claim that's a claim of inspiration but we also read peter doing the same thing when he talks about the writings of paul he says this in second peter chapter 3 verse 15. peter says and count the patience of our lord as salvation just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him, as he does in all of his letters when he speaks in them and of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do with all of the other scriptures. So listen to that. This is our Peter who is validating Paul. I already told you that Paul actually claimed inspiration of his own words we know that in the gospel narratives and also the book of acts that there's claims of inspiration but here we have paul or excuse me peter validating paul and that's super important because peter was an eyewitness of the lord so he heard jesus personally and he can validate whether or not what paul is saying is of the lord or not and so we sort of take that for what it is. But the biblical authors were inspired. The writings are inspired. The Bible does not give a lot of details about how God worked with these people in order to bring about this inspiration per se. But we know that from these claims that these documents were inspired. And we trust that. There are numerous passages that claim to be quotes directly from God, and others claim to be the result of ordinary research like we see in the book of Luke or the book of Acts. So research that he may not have been an eyewitness, but he knows that he collected documentation from eyewitnesses. So it's being very honest about that. But regardless of the method of inspiration, all these writings are considered scripture. There are grammatical irregularities, there are stylistic differences that indicate that God did not dictate every word, but He chose certain people, and He used who they were, where they were, when they were, and He spoke through them and to them so that they would be the ones, the vessels, of God bringing forth His Word. Now, to me, that says a lot, that God trusted the process of human beings bringing about His Word. It actually says a lot about the plan of God, if you ask me, that the plan of God was to create human beings and to walk with them in relationship, and that He also gave us the garden to steward, and He wanted us to steward the earth. God has created everything. He owns everything. The glory of the Lord fills everything. But in our creation story, God wanted us to steward something. And you see how He doesn't need us, but He uses us in His plan to bring about His will. And He allows us to partner with Him in that process. And so it's amazing to me how God does the same thing with His holy word. That He gives us, He gave these people precious words that were from him, him and of him, and they were eternally true. And he basically caused them to bring about in written form what would be true for all people, all generations, for all time. Certainly it has a context and needs to be understood and interpreted. What it meant is what it means. So there's a process there by which we need to dig and dig deeply to know what Scripture is saying So we know, or said so that we know what it's saying. But that aside, we see that how God worked with people. And that is the story of God. Even today, we have what's called the great commission, and the great commission is essentially Jesus came in order to redeem all of the world to Himself, and He gave His own life in order for that reality to be established. He commits the message and the ministry into the hands of His disciples and says to them, go out and make disciples of all people, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I commanded you. He puts His entire mission and ministry and message into the hands of these men. And then that from those men, it spreads to all who would name the name of Jesus, me and you today. This to me is the, the way God works. It's fascinating. It's marvelous. It's beautiful. It's unfathomable, quite frankly, that God chose to do it and He chose to do it this way. I'm in love with Him even more as a result of that. He didn't have to do it this way. He didn't need us in order to bring this about, but this is what He chose to do. That he wants his sons and daughters to be a part of the unfolding work that he's initiated and he's going to complete and so while maybe we would say that god could do it without us it's just not the way god does do it is is not without us And so we just thank him for that, but we see that inspiration works the very same way. And while there are a little bit of irregularities and we could talk about those, we know that that, all that tells us is that God oversaw the process more than he did dictate every little detail or every little period. He allowed the divine message to be given in phraseology of the human authors. Just as Jesus was God in human form, the Bible is God's word in human words. And that's something to remember now we talked a little bit about the inspiration of the Bible let's talk a little bit about the authority of Scripture God has all authority and we accept that the Bible is the primary authority by which God communicates to us and God wants us to believe and to live out the primary purpose of the Bible and its message is truly about salvation as it relates to those of us um, who or as it relates to those who are on this side of the cross. Now, if you've accepted Jesus, now the Bible's primary purpose is to grow you up, to look more and more like Jesus. But the first purpose is to bring us to salvation, and from that place, it's to grow us in salvation, which we've obviously already talked about. But those who believe in the biblical revelation about God's grace and kindness ultimately revealed in Jesus Christ will be saved and those who do not not believe will not be saved this is what the scripture teaches us we read that from John chapter 3 verse 16 God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him whoever believes in him is not condemned but whoever does not believe in him Uh, does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. This is what ultimately the Scriptures, Old Testament into New, are pointing towards, that those who believe in Him will have everlasting life and those who do not believe will perish. And so we need the Scriptures to reveal the plan and the purpose of God. It gives us authority and confidence to know that as we act upon what is true and what is written that it causes the effect that it promises, right? This is so important. John 14, 6 says, or Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Multiple verses. 1 John 5, 11 says, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and in this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life, and whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Life. This is what the Bible keeps pointing towards, salvation by grace through faith, which is a gift of God in Jesus Christ. Now, the Bible also reveals divine commands and principles regarding the way we ought to live. A genuine faith in Jesus Christ transforms our lives and causes us to have the mind of Christ and live out the will of God in greater and greater progressive submission to what that means. We look at Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, and Paul talks to the Roman church and says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and that by the testing you may be, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and and perfect and this is just highlighting the fact that we need our minds to be renewed as saved people when the bible points us to salvation if we've been saved now it's pointing us to the renewing of our mind that we would live out of the new nature that god has given us and the scripture says this over and over and over again in fact it gives us a trajectory to grow up into maturity which Jesus Christ is the ultimate standard and the ultimate, really, the view of what it is that we're going after. We want to look like, be like, and act like the one that we're following, who is Jesus Christ. Now, the Bible is an authoritative revelation of the truths about God, allowing us much understanding about our Creator and Redeemer. Moreover, as we deepen in relationship with God, we want to obey His commands and His ways. We do so to honor Him because we also believe that in His wisdom, God as our Creator has the best possible guidance for our lives in mind. Psalm 1, chapter 1, verse 1 says, "'Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night.'" He is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. We see this as that a person that honors the word of God will grow and mature and their roots will deepen and they'll become the kind of person that God has intended for us to be, created us to be. And this is what we all crave and desire and want ourselves. And really the doctrine of the scriptures leads us to this place That when we value and honor the Scriptures, we see that the Scriptures play out in our life in a way that causes the kind of fruitfulness that God intends. And this is what we're after. Now, humans are limited beings, and our minds are infected with sin, so even at our best, we we only know in part. Thus, we find the authority of God in the Bible not only mediated by human language, but also by our ability to understand its truths. Although our understanding is imperfect, the Bible is the standard by which our misunderstandings are corrected. And really what I mean by that is that God gave us his word because we can get off base. We have a tremendous capacity to believe our own minds, the delusion of our own heads, to believe liars, to believe um, the most exciting thing that comes about. In fact, you see this in Greek society all the way back in Paul's day when he would talk about You know, I didn't come with eloquence of speech, but demonstration of the Spirit's power. The reason he would say that is because people love to get into the town square and debate the the new philosophy of the day. This was Greek society. Who was a better orator? Who was more eloquent? Who had the better philosophy? And that's why at times he was actually invited to speak because he was giving a new quote unquote philosophy, which we know was not a philosophy at all. But we see that this is what Paul was combating, was that people like to talk. And so we know that people have this huge capacity, human beings have a huge capacity to believe whatever they want to believe, to come up with some kind of better version of it. And the scriptures are like that standard, that measuring rod that keep us to the truth. And we need concrete truth. And the truth is not relative it's not whatever i want it to be in fact if we think that then we become our own source which means we can edit whatever we want we can believe whatever we want it doesn't matter how it affects other people a lot of society has been built on the basic principles of scripture and so when we talk about the authority of the bible there are a lot of people that deny that the bible has any authority or relevance or whatever but they tend to live by a lot of its principles every day which means ignorance is bliss in their perspective, but it's really not bliss at all. We want to know the Word of God. We want to follow the Word of God. We want the Word of God to be our authority by choice and not just by consequence. And so we believe this to be the truth. Now, biblical interpretation is complicated by the fact that the Bible was written a long time ago. There's different genres. There's different kinds of writings. There's poetic. There's prescriptive, descriptive, narrative, so on, apocalyptic. We have different kinds of literature. And so when we look to not only observe the Bible, we want to draw from it based on interpretation. And I teach that in How to Study the Bible. I talk about observation, interpretation, application. The Bible has one interpretation and many applications. This is so important. You can make a lot of observations of Scripture as well, but it doesn't mean that that's what it really meant and so scripture always means what scripture always meant so we have to be those that dig in order to understand what the bible meant there was a there was a writer there was a reader what was that supposed to mean at that time we can't just take a 21st century perspective on that we have to actually dig into the ancient world sometimes to be able to understand what was what was being said now there are basic things like when paul tells somebody to forgive another person You don't need a lot of context for that. Maybe the situation might help you to see what the conflict was. But you still know at the end of the day, Paul's saying forgive as you have been forgiven. So that principle stands alone. It's just nice to know as you're studying the Bible what was going on during that time to appreciate the strength of that or appreciate the context of that or how difficult that may have been in fact. But my point is to say that we want to be people that don't just simply say, because it's written, I believe it. We, of course, do believe that it's the authority of our life. But in order for us to apply it as authority to our life, we have to be people that don't just observe it, but people that learn how to interpret it. And for that, you want to go back to my class on how to study the Bible, and you can do that. That's C101 in Immersion Discipleship School. Now, just for a moment, I want to look at the reliability of Scripture because we've looked at the inspiration, We've looked at the authority, and now just a little bit about the reliability of Scripture. I could do an entire class, not just session, but an entire class just on this. But I want to make some just some simple... Uh, comments that might help you and push you to a book that called that is by joshua mcdowell called evidence that demands a verdict that's a book that i would recommend to you there are several other books that i actually have if you send me an email i will send you a document that has lots of resources on there that you can read for yourself and i think that you should read some of those resources because it will help you to appreciate what the bible is and just how serious of a historical document And not just a spiritual document, which it is, but a historical document, that it is. But in the reliability of Scripture, we believe that they're trustworthy as a guide for our relationship with God and others. And they provide us truth about faith, worship, salvation, and morals and ethics. But when considering the trustworthiness of Scripture, the first question we need to ask is, have these documents been accurately transmitted to us since they were originally written. And in order to answer this question about textual transmission of documents of the ancient world, historians look at a number of of things in order to determine this. First, they look at the original text, they look at the time gap between the earliest existing manuscripts, the date when the original documents were written, and the more manuscripts, the better Uh, that the better that we can construct the original. So uh, those that are studying these things, what they'll do is they'll find ancient manuscripts and those can be scattered abroad from all different places. And when you look at documents, not just the Bible, but historical documents, what you'll find is that people will make, they'll have archeological findings. They'll find some pieces of manuscripts here, here and here. And when you look at historical documents in general, What will help you to appreciate the Bible in really looking at the reliability of the New Testament, you will find that in the New Testament, the existing copies, these are actually, you know, not just full copies of manuscripts, but we have in existing copies of manuscripts, 24,000 copies of manuscripts or pieces of copies of manuscripts. And the second like largest amount of copies of manuscripts of any ancient document are going to be from the Iliad, from Homer's Iliad, and that's going to be 643. So if you can imagine, 24,000 copies or fragments of copies of manuscripts, this is the scripture, and 643 from Homer's Iliad, you can see that it, it's amazing why anybody would take the Bible out of schools just by that fact alone, just by that historical fact alone. It is a fascinating document from that perspective. And this is what Clay Jones, professor at Biola University, he's recently updated the data that compares the Greek New Testament documents as a group to other documents of ancient history in an article published in the Christian Research Journal. And I want to share that with you. If you would email me, I want to share the those findings with you because it's fascinating some of what i just shared with you archaeology has proven time and again to affirm biblical accounts rather than deconstruct them Honest, honestly i've been to israel i've been throughout jerusalem i've been to some of these places um, in the in the ancient world that's still obviously there today And you can see these things. You can see the Temple Mount. You can see a lot of these places, these cities. All of this stuff is real. It's not make-believe, it's not fake, it's not covered up. This is fascinating. Like other books, like the Book of Mormon, there are a lot of archeological invalidations, inconsistencies. And that's not true about Scripture, and if it was true, CNN or Fox News or whoever, tomorrow morning would be blown up with all kinds of stories, because that would be the story of the century to invalidate, archaeologically invalidate the Bible. That would be such a massive thing, and yet you don't see it. You have to get these, like, books that are written by nobody knows who they are, and so it's just, it's debatable. Um, that, that the, the research that people are doing to somehow, you know, invalidate the Bible, uh, it's, these things are not even barely debatable, which is why they're not made to be prominent in um, scient- places of, that study this stuff, is what I'm trying to say. While the Bible accurately presents truth about God, humanity, and extensive details about our history, it was not written with today's standard of science in mind. In other words, The Bible is not primarily a scientific catalog of books. Thus, while it describes creation, it's after a different question than ones we often um, have today. In other words, we we look at the book of Genesis and what we're wondering is, is this the way that it really happened? And sometimes what's important to know is it's what happened, but not always how it happened, depending on the kind of literature that we have there. Genesis wasn't written to give us an entire scientific document. We're asking a lot of questions today based on the way that we think, based on the way that we compile information scientifically. We've made specific advances scientifically, and the Bible wasn't written sometimes for that reason to be a scientific document. And we've just got to remember that. We wouldn't put modern day um, guidelines onto ancient documents. But people do that to the Bible all the time because they're trying to invalidate it rather than understand it. But when you're trying to understand what a document is, what it's for, and how it's useful, you don't apply automatically modern standards to it in that sense. You, you want to dig and dig deep, and which is what we've already talked about. And so I just want to say this in conclusion. While the Bible is entirely trustworthy in its historicity and archeology, span it's ultimately given to us that we might believe God and specifically in Jesus Christ. And with that truth, be able to dwell richly in his reality, that we would come to salvation by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, but that we'd also be able to grow in that salvation, which is what the scriptures continue to say to us time and time again. And I wanna say to you, let us love the Bible. Let us love the Bible. I have a love for the Bible. And I want everyone watching this to love the Word of God with all of their heart. This is so vital because in a day where truth is relative and people are going to this and to that and they're in fact becoming their own source, God has given us a standard by which we can know Him and live life and live life to the fullness. As Psalm chapter one says that those who love His Word, those who live according to His Word are blessed in every season, and they flourish and thrive in the life that God has called them to live. And this is what I pray over each and every one of us. So as I conclude, this is what I'll pray and as, as we close. Father, I just thank you for every person that's a part of Immersion Discipleship School. And right now watching this class, I pray over their minds, God, I pray that they would have the mind of Christ. I pray over their heart, that their hearts would be receptive, that our hearts would be receptive to you and to your truth. I pray God that your word, that we would love your word, that we would love it, that we would cherish it, that we would believe it, that we would live and act out of it. And I thank you that you've given us the word. And I pray God that today, as a result of just talking about it, that we would go deeper in our knowledge of, our understanding of, and our love for your holy word. Bless my friends, teach them your ways, reveal to them your truth, and help us to walk in your truth as we continue to grow to be more like Jesus. We thank you, God, I thank you for this class. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, God bless you guys. I actually look forward to our next class together as this is our last class. God bless you.